Um, I want you to think over this last year, what are some things that you have missed? What are some things that, that you know, we haven't been able to do, either uh, you personally or, or us as a congregation? What are some things that you've missed? I can tell you one of those things that I've missed is eating with folks. Um, that's something that's kind of important, and we joke about it here at Spring Creek as a Church of the Brethren. We, we enjoy our fellowship time. We enjoy eating with one another. Not only is it a fun thing, we believe it's a, it's a deeply spiritual thing to share that fellowship with one another. Uh, well, we have some different opportunities coming up in the next couple of weeks and, and couple of months to eat with one another, to fellowship with one another, to be together. Uh, that starts today with a, a little church picnic uh, following our worship service. Uh, that's going to happen over the summer with um, some food truck Fridays in at the end of June, the end of July, and the end of August. And so some of that information uh, comes out in the weekly announcements as, as well as our website. And so you can check that out uh, when those weeks are coming up. And we'll shortly have some signs up here and, and there's flyers going out. But it's just a time to fellowship with one another. Uh, it's also a time to interact with our neighbors and, and the community around us. And so I encourage you to, to come out. And um, I'm excited about the variety of food that's coming. Uh, and if you have uh, dogs, I think there's dog biscuits too. So I got something for everyone. You can come out and join us. I guess you can bring your goats. I don't know if they do dog biscuits or not, John. Um, then we also are going to have Love Feast in July. Uh, we're still kind of planning some of that. Um, but it's going to be a little different. We're not going to be sitting around tables, men on one side, women on on the other, where our plan is to be outside, but we may have to move that inside to uh, the fellowship hall and chapel area. And it'll be a little different, but it'll be an opportunity for us to meet, to uh, wash hands, wash feet, both uh, literally, but also figuratively. We're going to have uh, some ways that we are going to wash the feet of people in the community and the world around us. Um, we're all going to have a, a time of fellowship meal and of communion as well. And so uh, I hope you can join us in July for our love feast. So those are just some of the opportunities to fellowship, to eat with one another, to join together that are coming up this summer. So I hope uh, you can join us for that. We are continuing our series in Isaiah. We kind of looked specifically at Isaiah chapter 1 and chapter 2 last week. Uh, hopefully you got a chance also to read uh, through chapter 5, uh, which kind of uh, expounds on the themes of Isaiah 1 and 2. Um, in the ancient Near East where Isaiah was writing, it was a time of upheaval between a number of different empires and kingdoms kind of fighting for control of the place between Assyria, Syria, Babylon, Egypt, and uh, if you pull out a, a map of the ancient Near East, Israel and Judah are kind of right smack dab in the middle of all these empires that are fighting. And so they get caught up, they get mixed up in all of that turmoil as well. And Isaiah sees how God is using these events as a mechanism of, of judgment for the failures of Judah uh, because they had failed to remain true to Yahweh and to 
practice authority on behalf of the vulnerable, what we translate in our Bibles as justice. Last week, we looked at the opening chapters of Isaiah and, and his calling out of the, the unfaithfulness, the lack of justice, the rampant consumerism and materialism and militarism and all kinds of other isms that Isaiah is calling out for the folks of Judah. And so this morning, we are going to be looking at Isaiah's call, at how God um, ushers, uh, issues an invitation and how Isaiah responds to that invitation and look at how Isaiah is called. And so as we take a look at that text this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. Would you open our ears, open our eyes, open our minds to the way that you are calling us, that we might respond, that we might be open to hear your call in our lives as individuals and our life together as a community. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The prophet Isaiah, most of almost all of what we know about Isaiah is contained to this series of prophecies. And chapter 1 and 2 were were written in the third person kind of explaining the vision or the word that Isaiah had seen uh, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And chapter uh, 1 through 5 kind of continues this theme. Uh, Chapter 1 is a general vision of Judah covering uh, a a period of time that includes the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And so this is kind of a broad-range prophecy, a broad-range vision in chapters 1 through 5. Uh, Chapters 2 through 5 don't really give us a specific time marker. But when we get to chapter 6, something a little bit different is happening. It is written in first person, and so Isaiah is telling you what he saw. He's giving you the vision that he had. And we know that it is written in the year King Uzziah died, somewhere between 742 and 733 B.C. And it gives us a glimpse into Isaiah's calling and his mission from Yahweh. And so I want to kind of go through that text this morning and see the ways that that Yahweh is calling Isaiah, see Isaiah's response, and, and look a little bit more at this vision that he has. So the text says this, I saw Adonai, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and his robe filled the temple or the the palace. Isaiah is seeing the, the, the temple, which is the place that God resides, and he's, he's describing the glory and the way that, that God's, Yahweh's glory is filling that whole space. He sees two fiery ones, we, we translate that as seraphs, who were attending or guarding. And we're told that with they've got six wings, so this is kind of a, a, a creature, that, that is related to ancient Near Eastern, uh, other um, cultures referenced seraphs. Uh, so it was coming out of the, the, this imagery that they were familiar with. And so these fiery ones uh, have six wings. And with two wings, they cover their face. Their 
to avoid looking on the holiness of Yahweh. And so this is why they are covering their face. We're told with two wings they covered their feet. Again, kind of highlighting the holiness of God and a way of hiding the, the part of the, the seraphs that was not holy. Um, if you have Bible notes in, in your Bible, uh, you might read through those notes. And um, we're not exactly sure what part of the body these uh, seraphs are covering, um, but they are covering up a part of themselves that is unholy and that shouldn't be out for display while they are in the presence of Yahweh. With two wings they flew, and one called to the other, Holy, 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 or sacred, sacred, sacred. It's repeated three times because uh, Isaiah, the seraphs, everyone wants you to know how completely holy, perfect, utterly beyond us Yahweh is. And so it needs to be repeated. It's not just a little holy. It's just not, not a little bit more holy, but it's holy, 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 sacred, sacred, sacred. And, and it is really something to be in the presence of Yahweh. Yahweh of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, or his splendor is filling the entire earth. We're told that the doors are shaking with the voices of those calling, and the house is filled with smoke, filled with the presence of Yahweh. It's an impressive vision, similar to, to ones that other uh, biblical prophets had. It was a way of highlighting the divine nature of this revelation given to the prophet. The prophet here, Isaiah, wants you to know how impactful, how intense this vision was. He wants you to know that he has been divinely called by God. And there's no question in Isaiah's mind that Yahweh has called him to this task. And so he gives this very uh, uh, descriptive um, way of understanding this vision. It highlights the utter holiness and purity of Yahweh. And so Isaiah responds to this, to this vision, and it says, And I said, Woe is me. Uh, one scholar, John Golden Gay, translated, translates it like this. He says, ah, me. He, he's he's in, in desperation. He, he's, he's afraid because he's in the presence of Yahweh because I'm ruined, because I am a man of polluted lips, and I live among a people of polluted lips because my eyes have seen the king Yahweh of armies or God, the Lord of hosts. I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And yet my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. You think back to uh, other parts of the Old Testament. Remember Moses. He's, he's out in Sinai, and, and he's with uh, the people, and he goes up onto the mountain, and he asks uh, of Yahweh, can I, can I see you? Can I see your presence? And, and Yahweh says, no. You can't do it. You, I'll let you see my backside. I'll let you see where I've been, but you can't, you can't bear to see my presence. You cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. Isaiah knows this. 
Isaiah has heard this. He's heard the story of Moses. And so in this instant, in this vision, he sees the, the glory of God and he knows that he's in trouble because he's experienced this holy, holy, holiness of Yahweh. He knows that he is far from holy and he knows he's uh, a part of a people that is far from holy, that has completely and utterly rejected their covenant with Yahweh, has turned their back on him. You know, in the, in the modern West, we don't like to think about the communal nature of things all the time. We tend to think in individualistic terms. And so Isaiah is very much a book that is addressed to a society that has systemic issues all over the place. And so Isaiah himself is, is um, not in a place to appear before Yahweh, both as an individual and as a person who is a part of a broken community or a society of people. Isaiah knows who he is, and he knows the people that he's from. He knows to be in God's presence is a terrible thing. Then one of the, the seraphs, one of the, the fiery ones, flies to Isaiah, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And the seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. This is a, a purification ritual, burning off the stuff that shouldn't be there. Burning off the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, burning off the, 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 um, the things that are impure about who Isaiah is. It taps back into imagery from uh, chapter 1, in which uh, God says, I will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. Those dross, alloy, uh, lye, those aren't terms that are real super familiar to me. I haven't spent a lot of time around a blacksmith, but I, I know a little bit of the, the process that goes into... Um, melting down those, those alloys and, and burning off the things, the impurities that shouldn't be there. Um, one of the images that comes more to my mind when I, when I read this passage uh, that we've been experiencing a little bit more at our house recently is um, roasting marshmallows. You go out and you, you roast your marshmallow and you spend a good amount of time perfectly browning that marshmallow. There's some crazy folks out there that burn that thing and they want to eat the burned, charred marshmallow. And I don't know why you would want to waste that little plump goodness of sugar on burning it like that. But so, hey, if that's your thing, I'm not here to judge, okay? I personally like to spend a little bit of time perfectly browning that sugary goodness. And then you, you take it and you either eat it or you put it on your s'more or whatever you do with your marshmallow. And then you've always got a little bit of that goo left, right? And what do you do? You stick it back in the fire and you burn it off. You get rid of that nastiness, that, that stuff that's left. So you're not left with a, a gooey, nasty marshmallow stick. You burn it off. You get rid of the stuff that shouldn't be there. And so that's a little bit what's happening in this imagery it's a purification, and this purification is not a pleasant ordeal. It burns, and it's painful. I was sitting out by the, the fire last night and, and just kind of watching the coals, watching things 
burn and, and you know this passage is is coming into my mind and I just I can't imagine what it would have been like to to take one of those coals out and to touch it to your lips to burn off the things that shouldn't be there now of course this is an image uh, it, it's a vision that Isaiah is having uh, we're not meant to think that Isaiah went around with a burned mouth then but that purification process is a hard thing. Then Isaiah hears, hears the voice. He says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? God is, is looking for volunteers. He's looking for people to, to sign up to, to be his, his uh, missionary, to take this, this uh, message to the people. And Isaiah, you know, he's impressed by the vision. And, and Isaiah says, ooh, I'll do it. Here I am, send me. Before Isaiah even has the, the full job description, he's, he's jumping at the opportunity. He says, here I am, send me. Isaiah is this eager volunteer who maybe doesn't know what he's about to get himself into. And I want you to hear uh, his mission. I want you to hear what this job description entails. God says to Isaiah, go and say to this people, keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. Can I just say that if I were given this mission, I'm not sure that I'd be jumping at the opportunity. Now, there's a couple ways that we can read this passage. It could be, and both are, are there in the text. Uh, you can kind of, the, the Hebrew allows for either interpretation, okay? So Isaiah could be a part of the hardening of the hearts of people that happens. And so Isaiah could be told here, go out to these people, and say, listen to this message, but I don't want them to turn. I don't want them to repent. I'm not ready for that. And so Isaiah could be a part of the process of hardening the people's hearts. The other way to understand this or to read, well, let me go back to that one. That's a little hard for me um, just to read, that, that Isaiah would be a part of that hardening process that his goal would be actually be for folks to not understand what he's getting at. You contrast that a little bit then with what Jesus does in the New Testament. Jesus comes along and he tells people, if you have ears to hear, listen. If you have eyes to see, see what's going on. And he's healing people's hearing. He's healing people's eyes. He's, he's opening them up to the healing that God is offering. And so maybe in this moment, God is saying, look, these people, uh, Judah, Israel, they have so rejected me. I want you to go out. I want you to continue to harden their hearts. And, and down the line, we will bring healing. Down the line, there will be this, this opportunity for eyes to be open, ears to be open, hearts to receive the message. But at, in this moment, these people have so rejected me that it's time for judgment. Now, the other way that we could read this passage is a little bit like a rhetorical statement. 
In essence, Isaiah would be going to them and saying, go ahead and keep doing the dumb things that you're doing and see what happens. Maybe a little bit like a parent who says, I've told you, I've told you over and over and over, and you don't listen to me, and so just keep on walking down that road and see what happens. Again, we talked a little bit about natural consequences last week. Man, that's a hard way to learn, but sometimes that's the only way we can learn. And so it seems that one way or the other, Yahweh is saying, these people have so rejected me. They've turned their back on me. And they have brought themselves to this point. And the only thing left is for them to experience the consequences of their actions, to experience the consequences of the way they have rejected me. And so they're going to experience this judgment. And Isaiah, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say, uh, how, you know, obscure your actions are uh you know isaiah's going to get into some pretty weird actions that i would not advocate in our world um walking around without clothes on for an extended period of time i'm not sure i'm ready to go there uh, but that's one of the things isaiah is going to be involved in and yet it's not going to make a big difference for the people of judah and so think about that we often get very idealistic in the way we want to go and present a message and we want to change the world i want to i want to get on i want to change the world and isaiah is being told up front you're not going to change anything maybe some hearts will be changed maybe a few people will catch a glimpse but by and large your mission is not to go out and be effective it is to go out and to be faithful and it's not going to make a big difference here and now that's tough that's tough Now, uh, let me talk about being effective. Being effective is not a bad thing. Sometimes we we need to uh, evaluate our our priorities. We need to evaluate our programs and the way we're communicating. And sometimes things that have become sacred to us who are inside the church aren't always effective or reaching out to people that are outside the church. We tend to have an insider language in the church, and people are like, yeah, I don't really understand what that means, and that's not helping me. And so sometimes we need to uh, evaluate our effectiveness. But in this moment, that's not to be confused with being faithful. So Yahweh hears this, this, this mission, this task, He's told that he's not going to be overly effective in changing people's hearts. And he cries out. We hear a bit of anguish in Isaiah's voice when he says, How long, O Lord? How long until people are going to hear this message? How long until they're going to turn? And Yahweh responds, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and house without people, and the land is utterly desolate, until Yahweh sends everyone far away, and vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land, even if a tenth part remain in it. That's less than a 10% survival rate. That's not good odds. It will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing, and it is felled. So Isaiah is told the land will be desolate, people will be exiled, they'll be uprooted. There's going to be a lot of turmoil. 
Isaiah has just volunteered to be a prophet that no one will listen to and is being told that he's not going to change the world. Isaiah's ministry will be defined by faithfulness, not effectiveness. Again, effectiveness, not necessarily a bad thing. It depends on what you're trying to be effective at. Being effective even at drawing a large crowd kind of depends on how and, and what purpose you have. There's times that Jesus drew really large crowds. When he was out feeding uh, you know, the, the multitudes, when, when he's, you know, the, the crowds loved when he was preaching against the Pharisees. Ah, yes, yeah, stick it to those religious folk. And, and, and the crowds wanted to be all a part of that. But as soon as Jesus started saying, here's what it means to follow me. You're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. Suddenly the crowd started getting a lot smaller. In fact, it got to the point where Jesus said to his disciples, everybody else has left. What about you? A couple of the disciples said, where else do we go? You have the words of life. You have everything that we need. So sometimes the crowds are a good thing. Sometimes the crowds, they go. But faithfulness is the priority. If you think about some of the prophetic voices kind of down through history, they tend to follow uh, a similar pattern. According to some traditions, Isaiah ends up being executed under King Manasseh. Finally, the kings get tired of him preaching against the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel, and they end it. Uh, if you think about other folks who kind of speak out, especially if you end up speaking out against the state, the state doesn't tend to like that. Uh, early Anabaptist forebears uh, of our folks here at Spring Creek um, were often uh, persecuted or martyred for their faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the, the Confessing Church in, in Germany during uh, the rise of the Nazis, they continued to speak out against this uh, radical nationalistic agenda, and they suffered for it. They suffered. Martin Luther King Jr. speaking out, and not everyone wanted to hear what he had to speak out against. And so these folks were impactful differing degrees or ways of being effective. And again, that really depends on what we mean by being effective, but all of them were faithful. Yeah, Isaiah was given a calling. His vision was a way of, of setting him apart. And in this vision, he is purified and sanctified for the purpose. He volunteers to go on behalf of Yahweh, and his primary task was to be a faithful messenger. Isaiah was being sent to a hard-hearted people. Man, I pray that we don't have to go through some of the stuff that the people of Judah and Israel had to go through. I pray that we're more responsive to, to the calling back to our first love. I hope we're more responsive than that. But before we rush to put ourselves in the place of a faithful Isaiah, first let's place ourselves in, in, in terms of Isaiah's audience and ask questions like, how are we hard-hearted? Where are we blind to the lost, least, and the left out? 
Praise God that the passage doesn't end there, that, that Scripture doesn't end there, but there is more to come. The passage ends with just a glimmer of hope. The holy seed is its stump. That last little phrase gives us a glimmer of hope. We recently had some uh, trees taken down at our house, and, and the stumps ground up. But one of the places in our yard, uh, they, they tracked the, the stump and the, and the roots for a little while, but there's still a root that's, that's down deep into the ground that they couldn't get. And what's been really neat to see is uh, there's kind of a root, a, a rut around where this um, uh, what's the root comes up. There's a rut where the root is. That's confusing in my mind as well. And uh, every day when I go out, the dirt there is moist, and there's this little puddle that's happening there because this root is continuing to draw out moisture from the ground. It's still actively trying to draw that moisture up to something somewhere. And so those, those roots are, are, are deep, and they continue to draw nutrients. We have some other stumps that weren't properly ground up uh, years ago before we moved there, and shoots have continued to grow from that stump. What was once a, a, a pretty large tree is, is now just growing these little shoots. And that's the image that Isaiah sees. Israel and Judah like to think of themselves as you know, one of the cedars of Lebanon or a, a terebinth or a, a great oak tree where you know, we're a big massive tree because we're Judah and we're God's chosen people and, and we're a pretty awesome tree. And God's saying, they've been cut off. And all that remains is this, this little shoot. And we're going to see what happens with that little shoot. We're going to see how it grows. Eventually that root's going to become pretty powerful. But in this moment, at this time, in Isaiah's day, a once mighty tree is gone. And all that remains is this remnant, this little sapling growing. Despite the judgment and devastation that ancient Israel and Judah experienced, Isaiah saw that a seed or a shoot would begin to grow back from the stump of that once mighty tree. And if you flash forward some 700 years from Isaiah, Jesus comes from the line of David, the line of Abraham, from the line of Adam, bringing a message of healing. Where the blind see, the deaf hear, the widowed and orphaned hear the good news, and the lost, the least, and the left out find healing. So in Jesus... May we listen and comprehend. May we look and understand. May our minds, our ears, our eyes, our hearts be open. And may we turn and be healed. Amen.